0: Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and spanglish. Welcome to Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowlis. My guest today is Florinda Flores Brown. Flores Brown is a writer, educator, and nonprofit professional from Laredo, Texas. She has a Bachelor's of Arts in Theater and Dance from the University of Texas at Austin and a Master's of Fine Arts and Creative Writing from Goddard College. She currently works as Gemini Inc.'s Director of Programs through which she oversees creative writing workshops that help diverse communities across San Antonio bring their stories to life. She also writes short fiction and plays. Bienvenida a este episodio, Florinda. Gracias
1: por la invitación, uh, Elena. I'm super excited to talk to you.
0: Can you talk to us about growing up in Laredo, Texas?
1: So for those who know me, they know that everywhere that I go, I always mention that I'm from Laredo. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I do that is to communicate the pride that I have for coming from that community Mm -hmm. and Laredo is very much so to me I consider it a really unique and special place that informs everything that I do whether it's my creative work my professional work Um, and the reason that it means so much to me is obviously I was born there you know obviously I was raised there and um, but the thing that I think, that I got from living in Laredo is that it's right on the border. So, you know, Nuevo Laredo is right across. So I grew up, you know, when we would talk about where we were going to go eat, it didn't just mean Laredo. It was like, well, where are we going to go? ¿Dónde vamos a ir a comer? Or where are we going to go eat lunch? You know, and it meant anywhere between Laredo and Nuevo Laredo.
0: More choices.
1: Right. A lot more choices. You know, I grew up going back and forth. I traveled a lot in Mexico. Um, The other thing that I think... um, Really informs my experience in being in Laredo is my family. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is so, my parents were Chicanos and they were very active. Um, and one of the things is that there were a lot of uh, Chicano writers or artists or activists that were traveling south to Mexico. And sometimes they needed a place just to stop and, you know, get some coffee get lunch, maybe rest for a bit. And so we would have a lot of those folks coming through our house mm-hmm. on their way to Mexico. And then the opposite was true. My dad was friends with political activists and artists and writers in Mexico. And when they would come to the United States, they would also stop through our at our house. Mm-hmm. And so when I think of Laredo, I think of that. Mm-hmm and the fact that i was exposed to you know really um what's the word like uh with one leg in one mm-hmm. community and one leg in the other community and then the other thing is that Laredo itself is a very unique community and we like to think that we're unique from other south texas border towns mm-hmm. and you know um i have some friends that are from you know the rio grande valley and we always joke about like the beef between my community and their community. I mean, it's just all fun and, you know, jokes, but um, one thing that you'll hear people say about Laredo is they'll be like, oh, you're from Laredo. You know, so that has a whole, like being from Laredo is a very unique, specific identity. And um, another big part of that identity is the way that we play with language. And I know that the entire border is a place that the languages are mixing, you know, in ways that are just, it's just super active and dynamic. But what I've heard consistently from people that I've met from all over the border is that they're like, oh, we could tell you were from Laredo
0: because of the way you talk. (laughs) So there's like a specific. I'll have to go and investigate because I grew up, um, I think I shared with you before I grew up in Matamoros, Mm -hmm. so the Matamoros, Brownsville uh, borderlands was familiar to me, and then later on, sort of the rest of the valley. But, um, so, so yeah, I'm interested. Now I'm curious to go to Laredo and and just sit and listen what the what the language sounds like there. Right, and one of the things is that, and this has been, like,
1: something that's been a little difficult for me living here in San Antonio, is that in Laredo, there's a lot of Spanish still. Mm-hmm. And that's not a community where, like, first of all, I think... Um, you know, historically it's not a place that gringos were able to kind of take over. It they it was a very harsh landscape. It's very I don't know if you know this, but it's very hot. I mean it's 10, it's five to ten degrees hotter than San Antonio. And now granted, I know Brownsville, you all have your own type of heat at Brownsville. I've been to Brownsville, you know, and it's that very muggy heat. You know, but San I mean Laredo is known for also being very harsh. And so I know that in our history we were not settled by you know we did have a base for a while but then the base closed and so there really hasn't been as much of a of a Anglo American um, presence exactly there and so I think that that does affect the language like you can grow up there and never speak English mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the thing that I miss about it is I can go there and I have to speak Spanish mm-hmm. whereas in San Antonio I don't get hardly any
0: chances to practice my Spanish mm-hmm. the way that I do there. Right. So that brings me to the next question. Uh, did you grow up then speaking English and Spanish? Uh, how was that experience? And and, and really, like what you just shared about even hosting people, right, that came through um, Laredo, uh, across the border, either way, um, in this sort of early um, exposure to political uh, mm-hmm. activism and awareness, mm-hmm. um, and then the language also in, in this region. So tell me about that.
1: So, yes, I did grow up bilingual, but I, uh, you know, I had family members that spoke Spanish um, and everything, you know, and English and everything in between. Um, I will say that, so I also did live in Mexico. Mm-hmm. That's one important thing is that we lived in uh, Chulula, Puebla mm-hmm. for a year, And that's really when my Spanish grew exponentially. And the way that I would describe my um, kind of experience with Spanish or relationship with Spanish is it's kind of come and gone Mm -hmm. throughout my life. So I I always say I lost my Spanish several times. And um, so I I was bilingual from infancy, Mm -hmm. went to Mexico, my Spanish exploded, Mm -hmm. I came back And then I had people, friends in elementary school. I was in third grade when we went to Mexico. And when I came back, they actually put me in a class. Even though I spoke fluent English, they put me in a class with the new arrivals. Mm. And then it was funny because they would tell me stuff like, why are you speaking Spanish? (laughs) And so I encountered that when I came back. And then I ended up losing my Spanish because I, you know, yes, I talk to my family, but I didn't need the same level of Spanish that I used when I lived in Mexico. Mm -hmm. So then um, it kind of, you know, dwindled and died down. And then I would say the next time it kind of, I had a resurgence was when I started teaching and I was a kindergarten bilingual teacher. And I mean, I spoke Spanish 90% of the day Mm -hmm. and I got to really tap into more academic Spanish. um, And I loved that. Um, And so I, I had really great Spanish then and then I left teaching and then so it kind of like slid down again. So it's been kind of up and down for me, but I have always been bilingual. My parents have always um, really instilled that my brother and I had to speak Spanish. And, you know, with my own children, I um, one of my children is not bilingual and the other one is in a dual language program. So it's hard to instill it here in this community, I think, than it was in Laredo, because in Laredo, you have to speak Spanish. Right,
0: right. Uh, does your husband speak Spanish?
1: Well, he grew up in Laredo, he, so he's, you know, he's Anglo-American mm-hmm. um, and he grew up in Laredo. Mm-hmm. He can, he understands all my slang. <laughs> You know, uh, and he laughs at all the jokes. He understands a lot, but he struggles to speak it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I um, and I can see that. You know, we can see that on the children too, because my husband is uh, also Anglo American, um, monolingual. He he, he knows some Spanish phrases here and there, um, and so it 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 can be um, a little difficult, right, to sort of enforce when when especially when one of the the parents doesn't speak the the other right. language right but so you were a educator a teacher in the classroom was that in in Laredo or
1: so I did so I've taught my role as an educator there's two parts to it one is working um, in elementary school as a bilingual teacher the second part is working in the college setting as an English instructor mm-hmm. so with the the elementary part, I worked in Laredo for three years and I worked in, um, I taught at a campus that was in South Laredo Mm -hmm. and literally the river was like down the street. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that was interesting and, um, got a lot of stories and material for writing and things there. Uh, and then my second place that I taught was in Pasadena, that's South of Houston. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, the third place I taught was Northside here in San Antonio. Um, at a bilingual campus and all of my students so i've taught kindergarten and i've taught third grade and all of my students have been recent arrivals to this country which is something that i think definitely informs a lot of what i do both right. creatively and professionally at
0: in my role at gemini inc mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. great um so you are an educator and a writer and have performed Life stories at TPRs worth repeating, listen to your mother, jumpstart performance company, and other San Antonio shows and venues. Did you always want to do this work? And, and just from hearing you describe, you know, your experience of growing up in the border in, in the exposure you had as a young person mm-hmm. to different cultures, languages, et cetera, I can see already that um, that's a a region where creativity can can really flourish
1: right yeah for sure and the other thing is that in my family and i think this is true about a lot of families and i like to say it's also true about mexican slash mexican-american chicano families is storytelling has always been in especially in my mom's family like almost a family inheritance Mm -hmm. Um, and when I, I say that because when I was a very, very young child, the thing that we used to do is that we would go to my grandmother's house on Saturday, every Saturday. My tío would make carne asada, you know, tons of fajitas, a smoke going, you know, guacamole, making, you know, ladies in the kitchen, doing all the stuff. And then after we would eat, we would all get together in my grandmother's living room. And then, and nobody, it was never formally said that this is what was happening Mm -hmm. but this is just what would happen is there would be almost like a battle of wits (laughs) and one of the things about my both my sides of the family my mother's side and my dad's side but especially on my mother's side humor was a very rich currency Mm -hmm. so we would sit down and then we would all be telling stories or doing impersonations or telling jokes and whoever was the funniest, you know, would get a lot of attention, and and you know, ah, you know, and a lot of warlote would would happen. And so I always like to say that that's where the storytelling started for me. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, as members of my family passed away. It continued in my parents' home where we would have people, you know, all these people would come through. And then the way that I would get attention because I was a kid and wanting attention is I would tell stories Mm -hmm. and do accents and do voices and, you know, tell all these crazy stories about things that would happen to me or things that I saw or whatever. And so that's kind of where it started. And then it became more formal when I uh, started pursuing writing. And my MFA is in playwriting, so, and I have a degree in theater, so I have a lot of background in performance, a lot of training in that, and, but the actual, like, storytelling part happened about five years ago. Um, I was working at Gemini, Inc., and I was invited to be on TPR's Worth Repeating, which is a live storytelling show that's very similar to The Moth, if you're familiar with that show on uh, NPR, and that's where it took off, and it just... For me, that genre fits like a glove Mm -hmm. because it's something that my family has always done. And um, I've had some people ask me, like there's been this whole conversation about who's your muse, you know, and artists have this whole obsession with who who inspires them. I don't like the word muse, Mm -hmm. but I will say that I feel like at the heart of my storytelling are those moments that I had Mm -hmm. in my grandmother's living room with our
0: bellies full of fajitas, telling hilarious stories. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you have worked, um, as you mentioned earlier, as an elementary school teacher, and now you work with Gemini, Inc., um, also working with children of different ages to foster self-expression through creative writing. Talk to us about this work. What is the mission of this organization, and how does your experience you know, continue to be... Um, at the root of what you do with this organization. Mm-hmm.
1: So Gemini Gemini Inc.'s mission is to teach the craft of writing to people of all skill levels so they can bring their stories to life. And I'm sure just hearing the mission, you can already see how my own personal background ties into that mission. And so the way that we enact our mission is through uh, our main programs, which include Autograph, which is a series in which we bring a nationally recognized author to San Antonio. And uh, the target population for that event is university, college students, and high school students. Mm -hmm. We wanna expose them to these tremendous writers, examples of who we've brought before, Margaret Atwood. Mm -hmm. Uh, Terence Hayes, Ben Fountain are just some of the people that we've brought. So that's one program. The second program is called public classes and events and what that is is those are tuition based uh, classes that we take. I will say right now currently, they are targeted towards adults and these are these classes are for writers of literally any background. You can be beginning, you can be a published author. it's everything in between. Um, and that, we provide workshops and literary events through that uh, program, and then the third program, which is the one I know, you know, you heard me talking about at our recent gala, and uh, you know why you invited me here, mm-hmm. was uh, is partner classes, and that's the program through which we primarily work with youth. Now that program is for all ages, so we like to say we work with students five to ninety-five. Mm-hmm. And um, so partner classes, what that program does is that we hire local uh, writers and artists and we place them in diverse community settings around San Antonio uh, to provide um, creative writing instruction, so workshops, Mm -hmm. to populations for free and to populations who would not have the access to this type of a resource. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason it's called partner classes is because we partner with another organization. We partner with schools. We partner with uh, other nonprofits, uh, with the city, with Bear County, and um, and so they, you know, pay us to provide the service to their population. Some examples of um, partners that we have currently are populations that we're currently work- working with. Some uh, we work with Northeast ISD right now. We're work with SAISD. Um, we also work with Bear County, and that's one program that we feel very or project that we feel very strongly about because we work with youth that are incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And so for many of them, bringing in, uh, you know, an experience with poetry and tapping into their voice is very powerful. And um, so those are some examples of the partners that we've um, worked with. So, you know, the whole purpose of our workshops through partner classes is the access, but also showing these populations that they have a voice, that their voice is powerful, and that they can find joy in using that voice and in writing. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing that I, I frequently talk about is, you know, working with reluctant writers is our specialty.
0: (laughs) I like that word, sorry. (laughs) The (laughs) phrase reluctant reluctant writers,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, and the thing is that, you know, in my own background, you know, being a kindergarten teacher, a third grade teacher, and a college instructor, I saw reluctant writers, and I could see how issues that started in the elementary school classroom led to deficiencies. Well, I don't want to say deficiencies, but gaps.
0: Securities, too.
1: Insecurities, too, in the college students. And,, um, so a lot of what our workshops do is try to go in and and kind of take away the rules. like so right now, star is the dominating force in our classrooms uh, in public school. And what happens is that we have we see students of all ages, all backgrounds, everything that are terrified of the page. Mm. They're just absolutely terrified. They're I The comma's in the wrong place. They're obsessing about the spelling of a word. And so one of the things that we do at the beginning of our workshops, and most of them tend to be, um, I would say anywhere between six to 24 weeks mm-hmm. long, um, we uh, bring down those walls mm-hmm. so that that voice can flow out. And the other important thing that we do through that program is we create youth authors. And so, Um, you know, some of our partners tell us that they see a change in the students who are published, that they will literally walk around their elementary school and and there's a certain, you know, straightness to their posture, there's a certain amount of pride when they walk around campus and that they will tell other kids, I'm an author. Hmm. Did you know that I'm a writer? Mm And so that is super powerful. And to be able to bring that opportunity to populations that feel that they don't have anything to say, don't feel like school, you know, is a place that you can be creative. Mm -hmm. It's a really powerful thing.
0: Right, right. That sense of orgullo, right? I can just imagine the little kids saying, I'm a writer. I'm an author.
1: <laughs> well, and one of the the examples. So I did bring a poem today from one of our students from um one of our. So it's one of our uh, bilingual campuses, bilingual workshops, mm-hmm. and um, it's my favorite Spanish poem that I've seen come out of our workshops. So um, you know, an example of a poem that came from one of our workshops is uh this po- poem by Eric B. And this was a student, he was a third grader, and he was with, in our workshop, I want to say Fall 21 to Spring 22. And um, it is just my favorite poem, and it's in Spanish, so I will read that for you. Oh, palomitas, eres tan mantecosa. Amo tus formas abstractas y divertidas. Ojalá pudiera llevarte al espacio exterior, fuera de este mundo. Hueles muy rica. Cuando te toco, te sientes muy salada. Me encantaría bañarme con tu mantequilla. Si pudiera, tragaría un vaso de tu bondad mantecosa. ¿No sería genial si pudiera caerme en un pozo de bolas de de deliciosas palomitas grasosas? A veces puedo escuchar la sal cayéndose. Me gusta ver la mantequilla cayendo de mis deditos. Me encanta chuparlos. And that is Oda a Palomitas de Maiz by Eric B.
0: at Bowden Elementary. He's probably a fifth grader by now. Oh, great. Um, So thank you for bringing that up because um, I'm interested, right, especially with um, sort of your own background on uh, teaching bilingual classrooms or working with um, English language learners. Um, And I know that most of the schools that uh, Gemini Inc. works with are English dominant, but you also work with some uh, bilingual children, perhaps even Spanish-dominant children. Uh, So talk to us a little bit more about offering a multilingual space for our Latinx children so that they can learn to tell their stories in their language Mm -hmm. uh, the way they want to, just like the poem you you read. Yeah, so...
1: um, you know, when I took the job at uh, Gemini, Inc., I originally was hired to uh, lead the partner classes program. So I started overseeing just that program, and then I, I received a promotion a year ago to oversee all of the programs. And, of course, being a former bilingual teacher and all my experience from Laredo and all my creative work and all that, it has played a huge role in, in how I, the kind of partnerships I look for uh, the kind of workshops that i want to see us doing uh the kind of opportunities i want to provide for you know bilingual members of our community and we have done bilingual workshops in both programs partner classes and uh, public classes um but you know one thing about the program is that uh, you know just to talk about the pandemic for a second mm-hmm. it did affect our partnerships so we had all these partners and then you know partners, as we all know, we were all going through a lot and there was also a lot of financial factors that affected some of our partners. So we lost some partners. And right now, we're currently in a rebuilding phase. And one of the things that uh, we, I looked for was I want to have more bilingual partnerships. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was very excited that uh, we got to partner with Bowden Elementary, which is the school where this poem that, that I read, it came from that workshop. And they're a dual language campus. They are currently our only dual language. Actually, let me correct that. We actually have a second dual language campus that we just picked up, middle school, and um, so we are excited to create that space. Uh, one thing to know is that yes, like the, you know most of the schools that we work with are English dominant, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that in our workshops, even if the teaching artists that are leading that workshop, they're not bilingual. If we have a child that wants to express themselves in Spanish or any other language, that's fine. Mm-hmm. They can do that. Um, I have had teaching artists who have had a child write in Spanish and they, the teaching artist doesn't speak Spanish, so they've brought me the piece Mm -hmm. and said, hey, can you look at it and can you, like, tell me what you think, can you give feedback? Mm -hmm. So we've done that. Um, I do want to build up us having more teaching artists who are are native speakers. Mm -hmm. Uh, We currently have one native speaker, Spanish speaker. Uh, who's an active teaching artist. And um, she actually teaches this workshop that this poem came from. Um, So if you're a writer out there and you are bilingual and or in Spanish, you're a native Spanish speaker, you know, please check out Gemini Inc. because part of the issue for us picking up more bilingual partnerships is that we don't quite have the teachers with the Spanish language experience that they can really provide excellent feedback in that language. Mm -hmm. So that's a little bit of a gap that we do have. And like I'm saying, if anybody out there is interested, let us know because we want to build up our roster of, of bilingual slash Spanish native speaking, speaking writers. Right, right.
0: Yeah. yeah, That'll be a wonderful opportunity for anybody. So definitely check uh, Gemini Inc. out. Florinda, what projects or initiatives are you working on for, This new year, 2023. So I can tell you what I'm working
1: on personally, which is tied to some of the things we're talking about. And then I can also tell you what we're doing at Gemini Inc.
0: Yes, that'd be wonderful.
1: I am also working on a collection of short stories called Laredo Barrio Stories. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the linguistic um, mixes that I talked about are a very prominent part of that collection. One of the things about that collection is that I feel like if you're going to write stories about Laredo, some of those stories have to be written in the way that the people speak. And so that has been a huge influence on how I'm writing that collection. So I'm hoping to finish that this year in 2023. That's my, one of my New Year's resolutions. <laughs> so I have that going on. At Gemini Inc., we have a lot of exciting stuff going on. Um, we currently have, so I, I, you know, talking about how I bring in my background, one of our big goals has been to connect with more educators in our community. Um, so for example, educators have to, and when I say educators, I'm referring to K through 12, Mm -hmm. uh, educators, you know, they have to complete a certain number of hours to renew their certification. Gemini Inc. is a TEA approved
0: provider of,
1: yeah, yes, 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 of those hours. And um, so they can get their hours. And then we also have, and I keep saying this everywhere I go, we literally have thousands of dollars worth of scholarships Mm -hmm. for K through 12 educators Mm -hmm. literally sitting there. So they can take any of our public class workshops, mm-hmm. um, which we have, we just, uh, we're putting out our spring schedule right now. We have a workshop on puppetry. Mm-hmm. We have one on, uh, we have slam camp. We have writing the weird. And then we have a, our very first workshop this uh, semester is going to be with Allison Hedgecock, who's an American book award winner. And um, that is going to be uh, on how to incorporate musicality into the long poem. Mm. So any of these workshops, educators out there, you can take for free. And get you credits. Exactly. Right? Yes, with the scholarship okay. money.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, the other thing that I'm very excited about, and this is through partner classes, we are officially partnering with San Antonio Public Library to provide a bilingual storytelling workshop at the Latino Re- collection and resource center. So there's going to be four workshops. It's a series. It's a workshop series and, and we have dates yet. May, yeah. August, October and January. So uh and we are looking for people who who feel that they're like I have never written in my life. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I love about storytelling is that I always say it's the original genre because back when we were, you know, in caveman days, you know, what were we doing? We would sit around the fire and tell stories. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, listen, if you can tell a killer story about your tía, que your tía, you know, I don't know, fought with some lady in the parking lot of H E B or whatever, <laughs> you know, um, or, you, you know, maybe you had a sighting of the Chupacabra somewhere, you know, like... Anybody can be a storyteller, Mm -hmm. and so that's um, why we're doing this workshop series, and it is specifically targeting bilingual Mm -hmm. storytellers, Mm -hmm. and what that means is you can come, you can speak in English, you can speak in Spanish, or you can mix those languages however you want. Mm That's a great opportunity. This is
0: open to... Anybody. Anybody. A- okay. Adults, 18 right, and up. Right, right. Yes. Okay, great. So I can also encourage my students to to be part of that. Or myself, I'm going to uh, take advantage <laughs> and show up and, and learn. I know that I need um, a little bit more... Um, work to do, uh, for, uh, my creative writing as well. Mm -hmm. And, and being, and sometimes it's being in those spaces with other people willing to do that work with you. That's sort of encouraging and empowering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Florinda, gracias por esta conversación. Pues gracias a ti. A todos. Gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima.